You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where we've been playing woke or joke longer than you've been alive. Actually, that's probably not true. I don't know how many sub 10 year olds are listening to this show, but hey, it sounded cool. And that's what we do here on the Internet because, you know, podcasts only exist on the Internet. We say things that sound cool regardless of if they're true or not. I'm your host, Justin M. Lesneski, the hopeful romantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. Before I bring in my co-host, I just want to make a brief observation. I'm making this observation at the top of the show because it sort of perfectly encapsulates what the midside is about, right? Witnessing the farce, seeing what's going on with the culture, talking about the art of the culture, especially the storytelling. Usually when we say art on this show, we're referring to, to storytelling. And today my wife started watching a Netflix series called The Watcher. Now I will say... This show has sort of an intriguing premise. I guess it's based on a true story, but heavily fictionalized, which maybe that's the best way to approach art. But it's about a family that moves into a house in the New Jersey suburbs, and they start getting letters from someone claiming that the the person is in charge of the house and they're watching the family. And the letters, of course, get progressively creepier and creepier. So I watched the first episode with her. And I started making predictions about things that would happen, as I, as I usually do. And then it got to the end of the episode, and it, the created by or produced by screen, I don't remember what the exact credit was, came up, and it was Ryan Murphy. And I immediately told my wife I would not be watching the rest of the show. Now, why would I not be watching the rest of the show? Well, I did a little research because I wanted to know like the results, because this is a mystery. It's like, who is the watcher, right? Which, again... That's sort of an intriguing premise, right? Like, that's a good horror premise, psychologically. You know, someone's watching us, someone's stalking us for no apparent reason. Why are they doing that? And who are they? I, I kind of wanted to know, right? But, I mean, that's what Ryan Murphy's always been good at. He's always been good at premises. He's always been terrible at execution, right? If you look at Glee, he would waste season-long arcs in one or two episodes. So, I looked up about the show to kind of find out, you know, what story is it based on? You know, what's the result of that story? That case is actually still unsolved in real life. And I found an article in the Hollywood Reporter, which has a a quote from him, which I think perfectly encapsulates what we're doing here in the midside and what we're always talking about, how art reflects and shapes reality. Now, first, I want to give credit to Ryan Murphy. There is a quote in this article where he says, and I'm paraphrasing here, He only makes shows that he would want to watch himself. And that is incredibly admirable and incredibly moral. So I think we can attribute much of his success to that. Right? You know, he was extremely successful with Glee. He had Nip Tuck. He had American Horror Story. And as I said, he comes up with wonderful premises. I mean, if you look at American Horror Story and you look at Glee and you look at Nip Tuck, all of the premises are great, along with The Watcher. 
the problem I've always had is the writing, the execution of the writing. And I think this quote at the top of the article that I'm about to read you demonstrates why and speaks volumes about our culture and the artists that we're attracted to and raise up. He said, I instantly thought of my own family and think that the idea of how we're living in a world now where everybody all over the world, I guess, seems under attack in some way. And the idea of how do I keep my family safe was something I was instantly motivated by. This quote speaks to a couple of things we've talked about over the last, I mean, entirety of the show, but the last couple of years, especially with COVID. And the two things are one, first, there's the interpersonal hostility aspect of this. The idea that on this show, the everybody, every character is a suspect and everyone is suspicious and everyone is sort of intentionally or unintentionally malevolent in some way. And he's saying that, you know, everybody all over the world seems under attack in some way. That's the interpersonal hostility aspect. But that also leads into the second thing, which we saw with COVID, right, where he asked, how do I keep my family safe? It's the idea that nobody has knows how to do risk assessment anymore. If you're buying, by all intents and purposes, they don't say the exact number, but if you're buying a multi-million dollar house in the New Jersey suburbs, you should A, know if it's safe or not, and B, pretty much consider it safe. I mean, if you properly lock the house, right, if you have a proper security system, if you see the neighborhood, which they did on the show before they bought the place, they, they talked about how there wasn't very much traffic, you should be able to properly assess the risk and not have to keep asking that question, right? The way you live your life generally. But I don't want to go into, you know, a, a dissection of all of these things. I just wanted to note that here's a perfect example. It's a show that's gaining in popularity, right? And again, it is by a guy who does make American Horror Story. And I guess he did also make the Jeffrey Dahmer show on Netflix. So he does have this perspective. So perhaps this isn't the best example to use. But the question is, why does somebody who has an interest in storytelling want to tell these type of stories, right? It's not about that horror exists, that evil exists, and it's impotent. It's, and he does say, I guess, that everybody all over the world seems under attack in some way. And, you know, this angst of how does he keep his family safe? And you can definitely see in the show how Ryan Murphy is projecting himself onto the, the, the father figure, the patriarch of the family. All right, time to bring in my co-host. Joining me this trip from Dale's Lawn, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green. Hello, hello. Yeah, Justin, uh, it's, it's really interesting to think about. I, I, there's a YouTuber I follow called The Fourth Age, and he talks about story uh, narratives and, and breaking down narratives. And he's a comic book artist and, uh, well, comic book author, I guess you'd say. And one of the things he points out is part of this, like, sort of new, he calls it woke storytelling, but I don't know what label you want to put on, put on it, part of this uh, current sort of classic Message fiction. Yeah. The best term I've heard is message fiction. I think that's It's the idea, and kids are taught this, right? Yeah. Kids are taught this. It's the idea that theme and message are the same thing, that everything is a fable. I ask my kids in, in class that I teach, I go, define theme. And they all say the moral or message of a story. And I say that's incorrect. A story doesn't always have to teach you a, a message. It doesn't always have to teach you a moral. It doesn't always have to send you a message. 
Uh, there yeah. are stories like that. We call them fables, but that's what kids are taught that that's what the purpose of fiction is, is yeah. to give a message or a moral. Yeah. And one of the components he talks about, uh, that's that, uh, arguably is an essential component of this is, uh, and it gets back to the collectivism we talk about all the time is that this idea that the message has to be, uh, experienced by a collective for a collective. And then, then that, that, Inevitably, this leads to the author self-inserting. There's no way, uh, because of the sort of the the rules of, of woke storytelling or um, um, message storytelling, like like you described, uh, you you have to because you have to only speak from your lived experience. You have, you have to insert yourself into the story. So you so the fact that that this uh, you know that this showrunner is basically saying, hey, I'm projecting my fears into the story. Um, it can be no other way with the with the sort of tenets of this very classicist um, rule set storytelling, right? Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense when you look at it from that collectivist angle. And that's the interesting thing, right? And, and we've noted this on the show before, right? The idea that collectivism and socialism and communism lead to more narcissism than capitalism and individualism do. And this is another example of it. Yeah. Where, you know, the author is self-inserting in this narcissistic way, because that's the only way you can tell stories from a collectivist mindset, because how dare you think you can, how dare you presume you can have a character of another race or gender or sexual identity or other identity. Mm -hmm. And how dare your characters have individual experiences or be, uh, make choices, right? Things have to just happen to them. Um, and those things that have to happen to them ought, should be a shared lived experience by some obscure uh, uh, very sliced and politically, um, uh, politically favored group, right? Right. And when we're talking about all that, William, uh, I think that leads into the first person we're going to talk about this week in the news, because I think uh, one person who sort of has a, and I'm not calling this person bipolar, but he sort of has a bipolar way of approaching the world or bipolar way of making statements. Uh, I, th I think he's right on this axis and that's why he responds in this way. So let's talk about him in life on the midside. As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's the midside.com slash Patreon, the midside.com slash Locals. We accept any and all support, including, and perhaps most of all, affirmations. I just don't want to, look, I just don't want to end up like Ryan Murphy. Please make me feel better about the world and not to think everyone is against me. William, the person I was referring to was, of course, Kanye West. And on this Yee. show, we love to say, Yee. Is it Yee or Kanye? It's Yee. Kanye, so it's it's Yee or is it Yay? Probably Yay, but I, I don't know. Say, I feel like I this is say... a Zendaya-Zendaya thing. <laughs> Maybe. Where I called her in my whiteness Zendaya for so long, and then the kids at my school told me it was Zendaya. And I wanna, I'm want to. i joking about my whiteness. My, my wife, uh, 
my wife called her Zendaya or Zendaya for a long time too. But I feel like it's the same thing, right? I have no idea how to pronounce this. I don't know how to pronounce names, William. You're probably not in a situation where you encounter a lot of names, right? But every year I have to learn what, like six classes of up to 30 names. So what's that's 180 names. Wow. And like, when I have to read them for the first time, I have no idea how to pronounce them. And then these kids get mad if I don't remember how to pronounce their name like right away. Cause I get confused, right? Cause you read it and you're like, well, this is how I would pronounce it. And this is how I think they told me how to pronounce it. Or am I confusing those? And then it becomes like a, a Jedi mind trick. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the way it is with yay or ye, right? I'm just going to call him Kanye. Okay. Cause that's All how right. I know him. Uh, uh, it's not Kanye. I'm not committing a microaggression against you. I just, I, I don't want to try and pronounce that correctly or incorrectly. It's just, it's just easier for me. So call me lazy and maybe I'm being oppressive in my laziness. But that's the point is I'm not even sure how Kanye would take it, William, because Kanye West has had a hell of a week, hasn't he? Yeah, uh, he's been all over the news. Yeah, he's been all over the news, and one of those stories was sent to us in Discord by Midsider Lucid, and it's that the social media platform Parler, which I don't know if anyone out there has even heard of that. I know of it because a couple of Midsiders told me about it way back when it came out. Well, he well, is they got, purchasing. They got kicked off of uh, kicked off the internet. Member that was another story. Oh, we talked covered. about that, yeah, didn't we? We talked about that. Yeah, because they uh, apparently they weren't uh, they weren't moderating up to uh, Facebook standards. You know where the January six uh, riots were, uh, quote unquote riots were organized. Um, so yeah, so they got kicked off of uh, the internet. Not no, not Facebook, where uh, these so called uh, uh, these uh, uh, rebels without guns uh, were going to storm the Capitol. Yeah, and they couldn't have planned that on any other app. As long as Parler wasn't on the internet, then there would have been then it no. Couldn't have happened. That would have prevented it. Yeah, yeah, there would have been no insurrection without Parler. Well. Now, perhaps there will be another insurrection led by Kanye West, because Kanye has purchased the platform. And presumably he purchased the platform because he figured out how much of a, I don't want to even use the word tyranny, how much control these companies have when we talk about Facebook, you know, and they own Instagram and Twitter, right? That How much control over the conversation they have and how biased they are about it, right? Because remember, we talked about him being banned recently from twitter and instagram because of uh interviews he did and the tweets he made yeah right yeah now here's the crazy part i want you to remember the kanye west who i believe was it after hurricane yeah it was after hurricane katrina yes the kanye west who after hurricane katrina said george bush doesn't care about black people do you remember that kanye we played it yes now this is what this kanye said about buying Parlor. In a world where conservative opinions are considered to be controversial, we have to make sure we have the right to freely express ourselves, Wes said in a release by Parlor. Here's the crazy thing about this, William. I think this is good Kanye, bad Kanye, in one quote. Yeah, all in one quote. Because, first of all, now he's seemingly conservative, right? Because of Donald Trump, right? He thinks he's a Republican. I'm saying he thinks he is because I'm not sure he really understands well, the two parties and what they actually are. Yeah, Go ahead. Yeah. And I was going to say, and everyone, uh, this triggers, I, I cannot say this without triggering someone who uh, who suffered from TDS. 
Trump was a moderate Republican. Right. He was very, very liberal. Well, he was a Democrat issues. up until he ran yeah, for. Exactly. I yeah. mean, like, like this is not controversial in any way to say if you look at the facts objectively. But for people with TDS that they 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 uh, flip their shit when you say that. Right. And there's also a discussion with what you said, William, to about, you know, to be had about how everything is shifting so far left that now people who were left are conservative. Right. There's that whole yeah, argument yeah. as well. Well, Conservative in, in little C conservative. Right. You know, not the they look conservative when you look at where the uh, over. Yeah, I'm not worried about labels in the two party system right now. Yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. talking about the you know, everything is moving towards social justice that people who weren't social who aren't social justice want to, as you're saying, conserve what this country stands for. Exactly. Yeah. So when someone makes a quote like this, though, right. Technically, it's correct, right? Technically, it's inarguable, right? Conservative opinions are considered to be controversial. We can agree with that quote, yes? Yeah, absolutely. And then we can we can agree with the second part. We have to make sure we have the right to freely express ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right, we, we agree with all of that. You know, if, if being left was considered or leftist, I don't even want to say liberal, right? Because of, as Daniel pointed out, the way that term has become so loaded and you know, changed nowadays, appropriated, we could say. If those opinions were considered to be controversial, we would say we have to make sure we have the right to free express ourselves as well. So that's kind of the good kind of part about it. But the problem is most people who say this nowadays, especially when they've purchased a platform like Parler, are doing it to have the conservative opinions and be on that side. And the fact that Kanye is sort of throwing in with them like, I don't know, William, wouldn't it have better been better for him just to make his own platform? Because to me, let me preface this one last thing before I throw it to you. To me, the issue with a problem like Parler is they may market themselves as free speech, but it becomes a haven for right wing or far right wing people. So it's defeating the purpose. We don't need an anti Twitter in the sense that Twitter is far left. We need a platform that says, hey, everyone can come here and it doesn't matter what your point of view is. I think what you're saying, Justin, is we need a platform. You can just stop there, yeah. right? Twitter yeah. Twitter is trying to become Facebook. They've been trying to become, become Facebook ever since, uh, what was it, 2008, 2009, when they needed to decided they needed to make money, right? And they, they if you, no one probably remembers this because, you know, Twitter's been around a long time, but Originally, you could send text. You could receive tweets via text message. The 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 one hundred and forty character limit was due to that was the SMS message text message limit. This was it was a protocol play, right? They were making their, their it was a protocol play, but then they decided they couldn't make money that way, so they shifted it to a um, an advertiser play. And that's that shift in in Twitter is why we have what we have today. Um, but yeah, like. Should he have started his own thing? Maybe. I think I think that it's hard to say because there's a lot of like seismic shifting happening in social media under the under the surface. There's a lot of interesting peer-to-peer um things happening. We saw in the discussion between Elon and, and um Jack Dorsey of Twitter that they were talking about uh alternatives to Twitter. And uh 
it's interesting that you think of like a lot of people you were saying like a lot of people end up going to parlor that are very right wing because obviously they're going to be platformed everywhere else. I think that's an, an inevitable natural thing. Whatever is the most free is going to have the most controversial things on it, which is why if your model is advertising, you, you cannot sustain it if you're going to be an alternative to Twitter. In other words, the alternative to Twitter cannot be dependent on advertisers. It has to be dependent on like the users must be the customers, not the, not the, uh, not the advertisers, which is why it was interesting when, uh, you know, some of the stuff from Elon link, uh, leaked about Twitter, where he was talking about possible ways of monetization that would put the power back on the users. And, uh, people got mad about that. Yeah. People got mad about that. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting because you, you see this, this is like a common thing in, on the internet in general, right? The, some of the, most free, uh, uh, most rights respecting, most uh, platform ish acting service providers, like even at the lower infrastructure level, those are the ones that get hammered the most because they're they end up hosting the more controversial um, uh, websites or you know email providers, all, all sorts of things, right? And and it, we had a what was it recently? We had a story. Um, I don't know if we covered it on the show where I think it was Cloudflare. Um, we may not have covered it on the show, but I, I, this is a, just a real quick story. Um, there's some um, uh, crazy uh, trans activist uh, that is uh, very, very much suffering from uh, that cluster B personality disorders. Uh, we talked. I was going to say you. Um, you said very. What was the, the terminology you used? Very crazy trans activist. Was that what yeah, you said? Yeah. But you repeat yourself. Oh, okay, I do. Um, and she is cry bullying all the time about different people and actually got Cloudflare to take down Kiwi Farms, which is a drama drama uh, uh, forum, which just tracks internet drama. Um, and at first, Cloudflare was like, hey, like we're a platform. like We don't go around policing things, which is great. But then, of course, the Twitter mob got outraged, and then they changed their mind, and they, uh, they took them off of DDoS protection. And so Kiwi Farms was down for a couple of weeks as they looked for another uh, DDoS protection provider. Um, so... If even Cloudflare can be bullied, right? This is, this is, think of all the heinous, like, porn websites that use Cloudflare to protect themselves. And if you can get Kiwi Farms, which is literally just words, right? Uh, if, if that can be blocked from the, uh, uh, can, if people can bully the companies, uh, to police like this, then maybe Kanye does kind of have a little bit of a point here. But it's it it's still a, I'm just trying to steal man Kanye here, but it's still I think a great example of good Kanye bad Kanye. Oh, I think completely has a point. I think you've completely steel manned his point, and I think you've raised an interesting point about maybe it's futile trying to create a new platform because it doesn't matter what the conventional opinion is; the controversial opinion will always take over the uh, more free platforms. Yeah, right. It's so a that's, race that's to the really bottom, and you have to think about that, right? right? You know, if uh, well, just one more example, because this is this is so interesting in the, to me in the tech world. I don't know what the answer is, and maybe somebody uh, maybe somebody in the Discord can we can carry on the discussion later. Um, think of Tumblr back in the day. Uh, Tumblr, uh, of course, the meme was always it was you know your purple haired social justice uh, uh, folks showing their even back then showing their pronouns and their mental uh, disorders on their pages. But Tumblr, you could literally post anything. There were there's a lot of porn on Tumblr. There's a lot of of uh, other controversial subjects uh, all over Tumblr. 
Uh, and then Tumblr decided, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna raise the bar. We don't want to be this home for all this trash. You know, they wanted they wanted to differentiate themselves from Twitter. Again, they wanted to be more like Facebook. So they outlawed a bunch of things, but including porn. And then Tumblr died right after. So uh, there's a there's a there's a poison pill in there somewhere. If if the audience is sorry, if your customer is not your audience, in in the case of Tumblr and Twitter and Facebook, um, there's this tension that I think is going to go away. Uh, I think this is a very Web two sort of view of the world, right? Like everything has to be paid by advertisers, and I think I think that as as we mature on the internet, that that stuff is not going to be sustainable because of this, because of this, all of these controversies, because you're going to get. A, a lowest common denominator, a race to the bottom on the advertiser side, meaning all content will have to be completely squeaky clean and uncontroversial in order to be safe for advertisers. And that, that people aren't going to buy that sort of product, right? They're not going to be interested in that. People want to, to look at and talk about controversial things. Sometimes people are going to want to look at porn uh, to give the Tumblr example. Um, so to sort of sum up what you're saying, William, and, and I'm not simplifying. So, Correct me if I'm simplifying. It sounds like you're kind of using the argument of we're in the sort of balancing part of the process where we have this new technology and we're trying to figure out how it fits into society and how to use it. And because of that, there's a balancing process where we're going too far to one side. And then with the advertising, I would think we would go too far to the other side. And you're talking about the the squeaky clean side, because eventually, just like with television and movies and radio, advertisers didn't demand everything be squeaky clean. There was That's just right. a subscription services and B, they had a little bit of leeway. So I would think it would go the other way. I mean, we're seeing that with streaming now, right? Where people said streaming would eventually just become like cable, where Instead of channels, you have apps where you go to for the different programs. And that's what it's becoming now because of what you said. Yeah, Everyone's yeah. figuring out the advertising model from cable and radio was the best model. Yeah. And I, I think I think that's a good example. I think also radio is a great example. You know, podcasts have taken like completely replaced talk radio. Let's be honest. Right. Um, and well, it was sort of like Rush Limbaugh was what was left for talk radio. And then absolutely. when he left us. There was no, I mean, who, who does anyone go to talk radio for anymore? No, I don't need to. I listen to Adam Carolla and Dr. Drew. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this, I think we're going to see that same seismic shift in a lot of things. Um, YouTube's problem right now, of course, is it's still advertiser driven. And, um, that's that the person who unlocks that Rubik's cube of, of connecting content creators directly with their customers being an actual platform. Um, that's, that's really going to change the way television works again. So we've got a lot of the apps, uh, you know, but when we think about how people get their news, how people stay connected, how people have discussions, that stuff for right now is happening on YouTube and Twitter is also a big part of that. Well, I think it's what we said. It's either you do the advertiser model or you do the subscriber model. And that's why people have tried to come up with stuff like Patreon and locals. And I mean, I will say if it wasn't for Patreon and locals, I would have stopped making the show because to host the website and to host the podcast and to edit it, that costs money. And if you don't have advertisers to pay for it, 
then you need subscribers. And, you know, yeah. I'm not saying we're making a crap load of money, but we're making enough money on the show to pay for keep itself. Yeah. Right. To keep the lights, on. Yeah. Right, the, keep lights, the lights on. on. And, you know, get a little extra, you know, buy yourself something nice, sweetheart, right? Yeah. It's not like, you know, we're not going to go out and buy a house, but like when we bought our house, it wasn't with podcast money, believe me, but were we have enough to enjoy ourselves a little bit extra, you know, maybe get an extra treat at, at Disney and keep the lights on. And I think that what you're saying, William, is part of, and I'm going to make one final connection here before we go to, uh, more Kanye, right? More Kanye here. But I think part of the reason we have the people being raised up now that don't deserve it is because of the current reliance on the advertiser model, right? And it's, you know, we have all these influencers and everything that really have nothing to say or Twitter, yeah. right? Trying to pander to these people really makes it so a lot of people who probably don't have good content are being raised up. Yeah. And just to put a bow on it, I everyone who as is is as old as I am remember the and they're still around, just not as influential. Remember the uh, mega churches and the mega church preachers on television and things like that. I don't see any difference between that and the TikTok social justice uh, armies. It, it's exactly the same, right? It's just that those are advertise quote unquote advertiser friendly at least for now. Um, although other you know, Matt Walsh and all these other people are making a, a big stink about about how advertiser friendly those are. We'll get to that in, in one of the future stories here. But I, it's it's just it's just whatever this cultural uh, wokeness is enshrined currently in advertising, and that's just not going to stick around. I don't think it's going to stick around. Yeah, and it's like you said. I think our last two stories are going to touch on this, especially when we get into. Uh, the Meghan Markle stuff, because I'll have more to say about what I was just saying there about podcasts and such. So let's hold on for that to a second. And let's hit a couple Kanye drops, because not only did he do this parlor stuff where he bought parlor, but he did an interview with Piers Morgan, which it kind of set the Internet on fire, didn't it, William? Yeah, it was all over the place, man. So I picked out a couple drops that I saw, a couple of quotes that I saw on Twitter. And if you could just play them now. Sure. Now regret saying I death gone free day. on Jewish people. Are you sorry you said that? No. Don't think it matters. You should be. Absolutely not. You should be. Absolutely not. Yeah, but yeah, you should be. Absolutely not. When you insult the Jewish people and say you're going death gone free on the Jewish people, that is as racist as anything you say you've been through and any pain that you've experienced. It's the same thing. Racism is racism. And you know that, I think, don't you? Yeah, obviously, that's why I said it. <laughs> so you said it knowing it's racist? Yes, I fought fire with fire. Okay. I'm not here to get hosed down. At least. Okay, so William, just right there. Again, what do you think? Good Kanye, bad Kanye? Uh, it's, uh, it's bad Kanye, but at least now I understand it a little better. It seemed like sort of came out of uh, randomly out of nowhere, but I can see in his, uh, in his, in his, in his conflicted worldview, I can see what his point of, oh, I'm fighting fire with fire. So, yeah. if anything, that it, it's still He's bad like Kanye. It's like a 4chan troll. It, yeah, it's like bad Kanye, but it, it makes the whole comment, it puts the whole comment back into a context that makes sense, right? 
So yeah, does does this mean that I think uh, he's an anti-Semite? No, right? I didn't think it before. I thought like, what is this random? Like, why is he saying this anti-Semitic thing? Oh, okay. He's he thinks he's fighting fire with fire. Okay, I, he's wrong. But at least now this makes more sense in in my in my Kanye model of uh in my brain of what Kanye's brain must be like. Right. It's like I can put bad Kanye under the 4chan part of my brain where it's like whenever he does something, it's like, okay, what's the point he's trying to make here? But it's obviously flawed, just like 4chan. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whenever yeah it's obviously does flawed, their... but yeah, <laughs> can be entertaining. <laughs> right. Well, that's exactly why I laughed because because <laughs> just the, the indignation and like the surety. This is the good part about it for me. Right. Like the bad part is like, don't don't do that. Kanye. What are you doing? You're not going to you're not going to make the point you think you're going to make. But the fact that he's so sure of himself and he's just like, yeah, I fucking did it. Fuck you. Like, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, it's uh, it's at least he he's acting on what he thinks is right. Right. We talk and, about this and, all the time, right? Like he's not backing down. Right. I, I don't think he thinks he made a mistake. Is what I'm saying. No, he right? doesn't. He's not. He's not being a troll in the sense of, oh, I'm just. I know I'm doing this wrong thing. He's. He's. He's like, I'm poking back at what was poked at me. And right. I'm using, he's I'm, doing I'm, a I think wrong I'm fighting, thing fighting, for a right yeah. purpose. Right. Exactly. It's 4chan where they do some fucking absurd thing. Like, remember when we thought the person wearing the prosthetic breast, the giant prosthetic breast, we thought that was a 4chan troll. Yeah. Yeah. But that person was supposedly doing it because of like discrimination he had experienced at school. Right. That's what Kanye West is doing right now. Exactly. Where it's fucking ridiculous and it, it's farcical, but like it's hilarious because he's so sure it's the right way to go. Yeah. Well, we are talking right, about it. Let's let's hit the second drop. Yeah, you know I'm saying like there's nobody that gets judged more than a straight white male. The straight white male has the least amount of a platform to even speak. A straight white male can't say, my wife hurt me today. Because people will say, well, you're hurting women. A straight white male can't say, hey, a black employee didn't come in to work on time. Because then people will say, you're racist. A straight white male can't speak on a homosexual person because uh, they'll say you're, ho- you're homophobic. All right, William. This, th- yes. I'm just you know, going to say good Kanye. Good Kanye. This is good Kanye. What more it's can good, you say? Well, because it's, it's good Kanye, but he's I'm gay right and I get called verge. homophobic all the time. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's right on the verge of understanding collectivism is the issue without understanding collectivism yeah. is the issue. Yeah. yeah. Because uh, there's this, this quote actually continues and I couldn't find a high quality version. I could only find somebody uh, recording. I don't like, why do people... Do people not know screen record exists? So I found a video yeah. of somebody filming somebody else's phone and the video playing on somebody else's phone. But by the way, this is like an hour and 40 minute interview with Piers Morgan. It's on YouTube. I'm sure like if you don't have like the season of Cobra Kai to catch up on, I'm sure this would be a great thing to watch instead of a lot of the other crap that's out there. Like maybe watch this instead of Rings of Power. I haven't seen Rings of Power, but... Ugh. You don't I'm going to assume. Okay. Yeah. Oh, my um, God. So I'm sure this is highly entertaining farce. If you want to witness this particular farce, if this is your brand of farce, uh, because it follows up with it. Cause I didn't want to scrub it and find the whole quote. Right. Cause I didn't want to watch the whole thing, but he follows this up with 
the reason I know these things and I'm saying these things is because this is what's going to happen to me next. And this is what we've been saying for a while, William. And what I've been saying about my own sense of life is like, I've always said I've gotten along with, you know, black men because I mean, look at Zuby, right? Zuby's just ahead of the curve for black men. Yeah, they're going to yeah. be treated the same way. Just like what wasn't it the article? Black men are the the straight white males of, of black people. Yeah, wasn't yeah. it the article we had that, years ago? That years ago. That's why I started identifying as a woman. Right. That's what got us started. The, right, because uh, the we had white two men, stories the same week. Uh, yeah, uh, black men were the new white men, and then gay men were the new uh, uh, white men in the oppression Olympics. It was it was two stories, either in the same week or like one week apart. Right. So this is completely just good Kanye. He's seeing it, but he needs to let go of the collectivism. He needs to let go of the collectivism. Yeah. And that's hard, right? Like this is, this is, this is the, this is the tragedy of, of that sort of collectivism that has always been in the thread of our culture. It makes it so hard to get rid of, right? People don't even consider it, right? It's just the same thing about, um, morality when it comes to there's nothing other than altruism right it's the same idea without there's nothing other than collectivism there's nothing other than altruism um and unpacking that is very hard philosophically with the ideas that are that are prevalent in our culture yes let's move on to to some other farce we track the most magical farce on earth uh there's more farce coming out of disney world where a pair of Disney World annual pass holders are suing over the company's reservation policy. And William, I'm really interested in what you think about all this coming from, you know, the perspective of not, you know, being someone with an annual pass and going to Disney often, right? You don't live down the street like, like I have for a number of years. So some quotes from the article. And then after we talk about it, I have a quote that backs up what I'm saying from 2020. And I didn't even know it existed. Wow. So from the article, Disney's conduct is a predatory business practice aimed at exploiting the customers who support it the most, its annual pass holders. Disney abused the global pandemic to take advantage of its own loyal customers and increase its revenue, said the lawsuit filed Tuesday in U.S. District Court's Orlando Division. According to the lawsuit, MP paid $633 per pass for her and her family. While EK's pass was on a monthly installment plan of about $68 per month. Yes, those are the ways you purchase Disney passes. I don't know why that's relevant. Why is that relevant to a lawsuit? That's what I don't understand. I don't understand this lawsuit. Both had been going to Disney World for years and brought their passes with the ex- it bought their passes with the expectation they could get access 365 days a year and not have to plan their trips in advance. Disney was sued in similar fashion by unhappy Disneyland annual pass holders in 2021. The lawsuit is still ongoing. So, William, before we touch on uh, the Disney's response to this, and which is the whole idea of, like, what a contract is, right? I just want to talk to you about what I think is super obvious here. Isn't there narcissism involved with this? And there are two <laughs> things that from this are, seem narcissistic to me. One, assuming the annual pass holders are the ones who support the company most. And two, the expectation they could get access 365 days a year and not have to plan their trips in advance. I cannot name one thing, William, in life that I have access to 365 days a year and not have to plan in advance. 
Uh, Even my own, own fucking house. house. <laughs> I yeah. have to plan in advance to take care of it and pay for it. Do I not? Yeah, that's true. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, this is interesting to me because I... Justin, didn't they... I mean, I, I think it talks about the article too, but didn't they have messaging around the season passes when all this stuff was going down? This was... Because I know, like, my gym did the same thing. Like, my gym... I'm just putting it into perspective. My, I, I, I used to have a membership to the climbing gym. Um, when, they, when the pandemic hit, they allowed us all to basically go on vacation hold. And then they said, hey, if you want to continue to pay, even though you don't have access to it, to support us, you can. Or you can, you know, opt out of your contracts. And a lot of people did. I did. I, the only reason I haven't gone back to the climbing gym is because they, uh, they kept the mask thing. And I don't know if they're still keeping the mask thing. Who knows? Uh, I sort of gave up on them when they were when it was months and months and months uh, after the uh, masking mandate was gone. They were still requiring masks in the in the uh, climbing gym, which uh, to me, when uh, you're definitely more than six feet apart as you're climbing a wall, a climbing wall. So I thought it was completely irrational. So I've since moved on to a different gym. But Justin didn't didn't wasn't there messaging around this? Well, yeah. So what happened was. They've already been doing reservations in Disneyland because it's a lot smaller. So in order to really manage capacity there, they had to make sure how many people were in there or not. And it's a really good system for Disneyland because of the smaller size. But when the pandemic happened, they froze everything, including annual pass sales. And then when they put them back on sale, they changed the rules and they changed the contract. Right. And that's what Disney said. Right. And this is a quote from the article from a Disney representative. Annual pass holders continue to be some of our biggest fans and most loyal guests. We've been upfront with pass holders about the updates we've made, and we offered them the flexibility to opt in or opt out of the program early in the pandemic, including refunds if they desired. This lawsuit mischaracterizes the program and its history, and we will respond further in court. And that's exactly what you're saying, William is the contract was clearly outlined and they gave them the opportunity to opt out if they wanted to. So I just, I don't understand what the purpose of this lawsuit is because I get filing lawsuits sometimes in order to make a political point or a social point, but I don't see the point being made here. Yeah, I don't think I do either. I don't know what the, I mean, it's clear that they want their money back or something, but like, what is... If they were already given that opportunity. That's what I'm saying. I don't think they want the money back. I really think they want 365 day access where they can just roll up and Well, that's easy in. to achieve, Justin. They can just buy Disney World. Well, that's the problem. They can't. This is where the narcissism comes in, right? And yeah. it's even worse than they can't buy Disney World. Remember I've said on the show before, and I definitely said it to, to friends, that these annual pass holders are actually doing damage to Disney. So it's worse than just buy it. They're actually hurting Disney. And this is what the uh, Disney CPO Bob Chapek said in 2020. Typically, someone who travels and stays for five days to seven days is marginally more valuable to the business than someone who comes in on an annual pass and stays a day or two and consumes less merchandise and food and beverage. And that's what I've said, William. These people go online and come up with all of these, here are your hacks and trips for tips for not spending money on Disney. Stay off property. Bring food into the park. Right? That'll be the next thing. Disney will say you can't bring food into the park, right? Because they're losing all that money. Because if you have an annual pass and you're rolling up whenever you want, 365 days a year, is it as special to you, William? 
Yeah, it can't be. Right, and I say this as an annual pass holder, but I'm an annual pass holder who lives down the street. They would lose all any money for me if they didn't let me have an annual pass. They, it's more advantageous in their relationship with me for me to have an annual pass because otherwise I'll just say fuck it and never go if it's there because I'm not going to pay a shitload of money for something that's right there when if I go to it a couple of times, I'm not going to want to keep going over and over again. So they have to make it more affordable for me. But these people, William, they're saying, oh, I want access 365 days a year and not have to plan my trip in advance. There, there were people from other states buying annual passes and then coming down. And how much money are they taking from Disney? Whereas if they didn't have an annual pass and there wasn't a reservation system, that they could, uh, they could spend more money to stay on property and everything. Do you get what yeah. I'm saying? In yeah. this sense, the reservation system is actually Disney being nice to them. They're saying if annual pass holders overrun the park, we're losing money. So yeah. we're going to create a middle ground where we can know how many of you are coming and let you in so you can plan in advance. And we can still make money off of the non-annual pass holders. But these people are so narcissistic that they want to have the ability to, to not plan. Isn't that... In, I mean, I don't... That's so farcical, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I guess I guess what it comes down to is they, they don't... They, they want to set the terms of the contract... Yes. But not have the consent of the other side. Right. And then in this case, Disney. So, yeah. Right. And if you do think, that. I don't think this sounds, I don't think this sounds good. This doesn't sound good to me. I'm going to adjust it. I'm going to contract to be in your house uh, 365 days a year. Uh, and if you don't let me have 365 days, I'm just going to sue you. Right. You can just show up whenever you want and eat the food in my fridge and don't have to call and make a res- It's like a hotel. It's doing that with yeah. a hotel. Yeah. And that's that's narcissism. It's entitlement. And what that does is it destroys a connection to reality because the person owning the house or running the business has to run the business based upon the constraints of reality, whereas the customer doesn't have to worry about it. And that's and that's part of the the problem, William, I think. There's a lot of people who go to Disney not to enjoy the way they've harnessed reality, but to escape reality. Yeah. And talking about uh, using funding to escape reality, this is one you sent, I believe. William, you sent this next story? Yes, uh, on, our, on my search for peak farce. Uh, well, it's pretty close. Now, fortunately, I want to preface this way with saying it's not a large amount of money, but saying that this is still insane and immoral. Yeah. The State Department is funding drag theater performances in Ecuador to promote diversity and inclusion. Here's for, it's from a Fox News article. The State Department... Let's just rephrase this uh, article. Um, State Department funding religious performances in Ecuador to support the current religion. Right. And that's where I was going to go with this, right? So... The State Department awarded a $20,600 grant on September 23rd to the Centro Ecuatoriano Norteamericano, I can't say the the Ecuadorian part, a nonprofit organization, organization supported by the U.S. Embassy and Consulate in Ecuador to promote diversity and inclusion in the region. The project at the center, which started September 30th, 
and runs until August 31st, 2023, which, by the way, that's about as long as the Disney World 50th anniversary celebration. So we'll include three workshops, 12 drag theater performances, and a two-minute documentary. Now, knowing how long this is, the money surely is going to other stuff besides those things, because that's only, what, 17 things? Uh, yeah. According to the State Department's grant listed on the USAspending.gov website. The grant to the center is part of the State Department's public diplomacy program, which seeks to, quote, support the achievement of U.S. foreign policy goals and objectives, advance national interests, and enhance national security by informing and influencing foreign publics and by expanding and strengthening the relationship between the people and government of the United States and the citizens of the rest of the world, the website states. This is absolutely insane, William, right? Now, it's over the top because it's drag theater, and that's the, the thing the, the right has latched onto. But this whole last thing, expanding and strengthening the relationship between the people and the government of the United States, what about the, the relationship between your own people and your own government? Why are we giving $20,000 to another country to, as you said, promote, promote any sort religion. of religion? Yeah. Like, and who cares about this drag theater? I mean, that makes we, it worse. And, but yeah, yeah, the, the, the drag theater is just the the, the seasoning on the uh, on the shit right. uh, sandwich here, right? Right. Uh, why? Why? If you're the State Department, presumably this program would have been created to talk about individual rights and freedoms and and the you know rugged entrepreneurialism of America and you know what what great relations we can have with your country. Uh, with free trade and blah blah blah, right? All that, that that's what I would expect these sort of programs to fund, right? Um maybe some cultural exchange. Um so uh and and now I can already hear the leftists uh uh in the social justice warriors saying, well that's uh that's oppression, right? That's spreading uh your patriarchal capitalism into these countries. Okay, well then let's flip it around. Let's take your premise uh of diversity and inclusion. Wouldn't you want to have, like, in their mind, again, wouldn't you want to have some sort of, like, whiteness thing? You know what I mean? Like, do, do you think there's a lot of uh, of white people in uh, in Ecuador? Is there a lot of, uh, uh, it's probably mostly Catholic, right? Is there a lot of, uh, if we're doing diversity, maybe they should have, uh, maybe I should shut up because I don't want to give them any ideas. Maybe pick other religions, right, and start saying uh, things about that or maybe... Uh, well, that's why they are doing it. I mean, drag theater yeah. is clearly against against Catholicism, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Look, okay. I have a theory about this, William. I have a theory about this. Okay, so this says it, it promotionally. It, it specifically says a nonprofit organization supported by the U.S. Embassy and Consulate in Ecuador. My theory is that whoever the ambassador is down there, or whoever works in the embassy and consulate, was annoying the crap out of the State Department. And they were like, look, let's just send them some money every so often to shut them the fuck up and we can move on and ignore them. And they were happy about it. Yeah. This is politics. This is pure politics. This is pure, in my mind, um, crap, I'm forgetting the word. Pragmatism. Pragmatism. I think this is pure pragmatism. I don't, and this is, we've talked about this before. This is how social justice takes a hold. It's what you were talking about with the advertisers before the advertisers on all these platforms don't really agree with all this far left social justice stuff, this extreme collectivist social justice stuff, but the squeaky wheel gets the grease. 
And these people are on there complaining enough. And if you're an advertiser and you're getting messaged over and over again, you just want it to end. So it's either delete your account or just appease these people. And I think it has to be the same thing here, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. Again, we keep making that parallel to religion because it's true. Do you think everyone in the uh, this, uh, the uh, 80s were super religious? All the companies making all these religious statements back in the day? Yeah. In their advertising? And now there's, they're still making those religious statements. They just happen to be the religion of social justice. Social justice, not social justin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, look, it's really easy to get swept up in the outrage here and be like, oh, my God, they're funding drag theater. But I think part of what we do here in the midside is we look underneath it and we say, hey, yeah, Fox News is pointing out something important, but it's not the drag theater that's issued. Now, that's an issue. Right. And we've talked about that before. But the real issue here is the money. And why are we giving money to foreign countries to change their cultures when that money was taken from? Somebody who worked hard in this country. All right. Talking about somebody who worked hard in this country or maybe didn't and then went to another country and that increased their fame. Right. Meghan Markle. Meghan Markle. Now, William, do you have any opinions on Meghan Markle? Um, I pity poor the poor. Uh, was it Prince Harry that married her? I pity him. That's about my only thoughts on the matter. Right. I don't really like that's the point. I don't really think about Meghan Markle, right? Like she's not someone who's high on our list of things to talk about. But I saw an article this week that sort of sums up a lot of things in the social justice realm that we always talk about and a lot of the farce we witness. So there was an article that says Meghan Markle recalls being objectified on deal or no deal. It was solely about beauty. Now, before we even go into the quotes here, William, do you have any reactions to her saying that? No, duh. Right. Okay. So that's the first thing is this is very, very simple. You're you're hired as a model to open a case, to look pretty and open a case. Right. But yet on a podcast, she went on and on about this. So I'm going to read a few paragraphs here. Okay. The Duchess of Sussex. There should be a Duchess of Suffolk. Has that been done before? I feel like that's like a phantom. That would be in the Phantom Tollbooth or something. The Duchess of Suffolk. Or eat shoots and leaves. Yeah. Reflected on her experience on the game show during the latest episode of her podcast, Archetypes, where she explored labels like Bimbo and Dumb Blonde with guests Paris Hilton and Eliza Schlesinger. While introducing the topic, Marco shared that she felt forced to take on that label when she did a stint as a briefcase girl. I had studied acting in college at Northwestern University, and like a lot of the other women standing on stage with me, acting was what I was pursuing, so while Deal or No Deal wasn't about acting, I was still really grateful as an auditioning actress to have a job that could pay my bills. I had income. I was part of the union. I had health insurance. It was great, she explained. And yet, I had also studied international relations in college, and there were times while I was on the set at Deal or No Deal, and thinking back to my time working as an intern at the U.S. Embassy in Argentina and Buenos Aires, and being in the motorcade with the Secretary of Treasury at the time and being valued specifically for my brain. I was thankful for the job, but not for how it made me feel, which was not smart. And by the way, I was surrounded by smart women on that stage with me, but that wasn't the focus of why we were there, she continued. I could end up leaving 
with this pit in my stomach, I would end up leaving with this pit in my stomach, knowing that I was so much more than what was being objectified on the stage. I didn't feel, I didn't like feeling forced to be all looks and little substance. And that's how it felt for me at the time, being reduced to this specific archetype. So what do you want to talk about first, William? Podcast culture or what's wrong with her comments? Uh, I just want to quickly, because it popped in my brain as soon as I saw this article. Can we contrast this with Vanna White? So we'll go with the what's wrong with her comments. Go ahead. Yeah. Contrast let's, it with Let's contrast Vanna it with Vanna White, right? Uh, obviously, she was uh, selected for uh, in large part due to her looks, right? But why, would, why did she stay? Right? Why was it? Why was it that she was able to basically spend her entire career on Wheel of Fortune, and all she was doing was literally looking pretty, reacting, uh, being personable and pleasant, and turning uh, tiles on the Wheel of Fortune game? Can I answer it, your question? Yeah, go ahead. Because she had self-esteem. Exactly. Exactly. She's still on. Is she still on? Is Wheel of Fortune still on? Is she I still don't doing even know. it? I don't even know. But I she think popped she in my head instantly. Well, it's because she has self-esteem. Look at what, what Meghan Markle is saying here, right? I don't even want to talk about all the social justice crap because this boils down to self-esteem. It made her feel not smart because she didn't like feeling forced to be all looks and little substance. I think I said it in Discord. I wish I could find a man to objectify me on a TV show. Can you unpack that a little bit? Meaning, it it's how I, I've, I've done my best with, you know, the genetics I have to make myself look good and be attractive. And so for, to find someone who would recognize that I would uh, to objectify me in that way in the positive sense would be, uh, would, uh, you know, contribute to my self-esteem, right. Would, would match with my self-esteem would be something I would connect with. So, right. This, like you were saying, it gets back to self-esteem because I, because I have worked at this thing and that it gives me self-esteem to have someone else recognize it, even even under the context of "quote unquote" objectification, it it's a it's a validation. It's an external validation, but it's still a validation, right? Because William, there's a there's an underlying premise that you're not uh, bringing out, and it's that the looks are one part of the whole. The physical yeah. is one part of the whole. In order to put in that effort and maximize, that takes discipline and it takes intelligence. And the reason she's upset about not being seen as smart is because she's not seeing herself as smart because she has this dichotomy going on that just because you're doing that all day doesn't mean that's all you are. Like if somebody had told me like, oh, like five of those women have a PhD, I I wouldn't have been surprised. Like it wouldn't have been my first thought, right? But I didn't I didn't ever look at the the dealer no deal women when I happened to watch the show because I didn't watch it very often because at a certain point, like it's all filler. Right. Just it should really take 10 minutes to do an episode. Right. But they (laughs) fill it with like conversation. I'm like, just open the fucking briefcase. Right. But I never looked at them and I I, I was like, oh, that woman's got to have a low IQ. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, when you're in one context, that doesn't mean every other context is eliminated in life. Like when I'm coaching, does that mean like I don't I no longer know anything about movies? Like or even the people I'm, you're coaching, do, do 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 make assumptions about their intelligence because of their wrestling? You see what I mean? Like it's like you're it's the wrong context, right? Like you're not thinking about how well they're they they write English uh when when, right. when you're teaching them wrestling. <laughs> right. And when they're in 
debate class, I, I'm not making an assumption about how well they could debate or not. Or, or how well, sorry, how well I they am. could wrestle. Yeah. <laughs> how well they could wrestle. I'm definitely <laughs> making an assumption of how well they could debate. Although sometimes <laughs> I'm not because they're not trying, right? Yeah. But that's the point is like, it was her herself who had a problem with her own intelligence and she needed to be told she was smart. So she was upset about that. But at the same time, and that might not even been true. This could be performative, couldn't it be? It could be. There's a lot of, uh, we, we know there's a lot of narcissism here in Meghan Merkel. So. Yeah, well, right. And this, this goes into podcast culture and influencer culture and everything we were talking about earlier in the show. Like, I'm really so remember when we were complaining about how articles were just tweets and they're like, yeah. look at what people are saying. And they put tweets. Now we're oh, doing man. it where people just listen to a podcast and repeat what was on the podcast and put quotes from the podcast. And that's an article. That's journalism nowadays. Yeah. Why? Because Meghan Markle has a podcast and she interviewed Paris Hilton. And who's the other person? Eliza Schlesinger. And by the way, who's the most talented out of the three? I don't know. The professional comic. Right. Maybe we'll just go watch her stand up. Yeah. Right. And Paris Hilton, maybe we would just watch her reality show because that's what she is. And Meghan Markle, if people like wanted to know about your stuff you were good at, they would go do it. Right. You can follow your charities with Prince Harry. We can watch you on suits. Right. Oh, is that insulting your intelligence? Why are you making these choices if you don't want to be seen? But the greater point I'm making is why are we taking seriously everyone with a podcast nowadays? And I say this as someone with a podcast. Don't just be like, oh, I heard it on the Midside podcast, so it's worthwhile. Be like, oh, I heard this interesting thing, and I've been thinking about it a lot. And it was on this podcast that I was listening to. They don't always say good things, and I'm not telling you you need to listen to the show, but this particular thing they were saying was interesting. This topic is not interesting. No. But because she's known and she has a podcast, we talk about it. And that's news. I can't, I can't believe it. Somebody was paid to write this article, right, William? It had to be. Or maybe it's all just an algorithm, you know? We've been seeing those uh, that those uh, uh, AIs generating all these art. Maybe these articles are just going to be completely AI. Because you can just scrub the text from these uh, podcasts and just write random articles. Well, and I, I don't think it's quite AI. I think it's more people see someone talking about it on social media. So I really think the research most journalists do now do nowadays is they're on social media and then they'll see someone talk about it. And like, you know, I said, I didn't want to scrub the Kanye interview. That was an hour and 40 minutes. They, their research would then be to scrub that. And what I mean is they're not listening to the whole thing. They're just listening for quotes to pull out so they can submit their article and meet their deadline. All right, anything else we want to add to all this before we head into the art section? No, it's been a killer. It's been great. Yeah, it's been great. I really enjoyed this so far. and Hopefully we enjoy what we have coming up in the art section. So let's do it in the Hopeful Bromantic with JML. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. As you heard, we get some stories submitted to us by 
listeners, by midsiders in the Discord channel. You can also participate in Triller Takedown, which we'll do in a few minutes here. Just go to midside.com or the midside.com slash podcast. Click on any episode link, and in there will be the join code for the Discord channel. For this week's review, William, I would like to talk about a movie I've been anticipating a long time and a type of film I've been anticipating a long time, The Rock as a Superhero. Uh, There's a lot of backstory here about why it took so long, but since the superhero genre has been so popular, it's been inevitable that we'd have The Rock as a Superhero. Before I give my one-sentence review and go into this a little bit, is there, have you seen it, William? Is there anything you want to say about Black Adam? Is there anything I, you've been hearing about Black Adam? Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. I do plan on seeing it. <clears throat> I got to travel today, uh, going back to Germany for a few days, so I haven't, I haven't had any time this weekend, but I plan to see it when I get back from Germany. Uh, I've heard good things, word of mouth. Uh, I see that the reviewers hate it and that the audience has it at 90%, so that means uh, it probably could be a good movie, or at least an enjoyable one. So... Interested in your your review, Justin. So I would call it a good movie. I would actually say it's one of my favorite movies of the year. Of course, I'm biased. You guys out there know if you listen to the midside that I love The Rock as an actor. I actually hated him in WWE because he was so goddamn repetitive. But, <laughs> well, you know, you know the the Midnight's Edge guys. Uh, I think they reviewed it and they said it's the best superhero movie this year. Which I know it isn't in a lot of good company, but uh, that's that was their review of it. They were like, it's a good movie, best superhero movie of the year. I mean, I'm inclined to say it's the best non-Zack Snyder DC movie. That's what I'm inclined to say. Now, the reason I'm saying that is actually, I mean, I think the, the, the filmmakers were very clearly influenced very heavily by Zack Snyder. right? And this was my one-sentence review on Letterboxd. You can find me on there. Just look up the midside. For the company that tried so hard to keep the Snyder Cut locked away, Warner Brothers released the Snyderverse version of shazam uh if anyone doesn't know black adam's supposed to be like the arch nemesis of shazam that's why i'm calling it the snyderverse version of shazam and i don't want you to go in thinking it's going to be as good of a Zack snyder movie because i wouldn't call this movie perfect as i have two major problems with it one the beginning exposition is very, very convoluted. Now, it's convoluted for a reason. When you get to the end of the movie, you realize why um, it's convoluted, and you get what they were trying to hide. They just didn't execute it as well as they could have. You know, I'm talking about here, it starts with the backstory of how Black Adam became Black Adam. There's walkers in the barn and Lori's pregnant. Yes, I've spoiled the first scene. All right. And yes, if you don't (laughs) want to be spoiled at all... Don't continue listening because I am going to say later what I think is the key line of the movie, which I think makes the movie very interesting and powerful. But like I was saying, it shows the whole, you know, where the wizard from Shazam comes and gives the power and everything. This is akin to the opening of Man of Steel with Krypton or the opening of Batman versus uh, Superman where we see the 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 black uh, the zero hour black hour, right? The nine eleven parallel of seeing Superman battles odd from Batman's perspective. And then my second major critique of this movie is at times it doesn't feel like a black Adam movie. 
And what I mean by that is there's a group of four heroes, Dr. Fate, Hawkman, uh, this girl who's a tornado. I don't know what her tornado title or her name is. And I forget the guy's name as well. Uh, he's played by Noah Centino from To All the Boys, starring uh, Lana Condor, that series on Netflix. And he can grow really, really large. They just don't call him Ant-Man. I forget the name of him. Uh, but those four are the Justice Society of America, and they're sent to this country. It's a fictional sort of Middle Eastern country where Black Adam is to stop Black Adam. That's their job is to stop Black Adam. And there are times in the movie where it feels more like a Justice Society of America movie than it does a Black Adam movie. And I think that sort of does it disservice because, you know, there's a whole element here of like waking the genie from the lamp where Black Adam has been away for a very long time and then his lamp is opened up, which I'm sure is probably intentional and whoever wrote the mythos of this, you know, the, the parallels of a genie to Black Adam when we're talking about, you know, Middle Eastern Arabic culture. So those are my two major critiques. Now, what I think is the strength of this movie is I saw once, William, and I think maybe you said it or I've read it somewhere, and I'm sure you're aware of this, is people say Marvel is better because it's about real human beings with powers, whereas DC is about gods. And I think they missed the point, and I think that's very simplistic. DC is about gods, but it's about gods representing the best of humanity. And what do we do and how do we live knowing these powers exist? And how do we exist respecting the humanity of ourselves and others when we do that? Whereas these people who get powers in Marvel instantly become responsible for everybody else. So even though one's about gods and one's about man, supposedly, they actually have the opposite role. Where typically God is seen as being responsible for us. So that inversion is interesting. And the reason I bring this up is that's really what Black Adam is about. Where the Rock's character, right, he has these powers and he is, you find out, conflicted about them. And if he deserves them and what he should do with them. And what it means to be a hero, right? The whole movie is you're not a hero, you're a hero. It plays with that anti-hero stuff. You know, that's a conversation, if you want to go back and listen to our our episode a few years ago with uh, Dr. Andy Bernstein, where we can talk about heroism and anti-heroism and everything, what an actual hero is. But they're using hero in the colloquial sense of, as we said, taking on the burdens and taking on the responsibility of other people. And, you know, honestly, Black Adam's not interested in that. Black Adam's interested in, you know, this is my culture, this is my, my people, this is my world, right, as we've seen from... Zack Snyder's Superman. And actually, did you notice, William, in the new Shazam trailer, they tell him to go protect his world and go protect his family? Did you notice that? No, I didn't. Interesting. Yeah. And that's what I mean. I mean, when you look at the directing and you look at the the uh, the, the theme of this and the motifs of this, I mean, there's even an insane amount of Zack Snyder slow-mo used in this movie. So it's interesting to me that they would fight so hard against Zack Snyder and then release this movie, but... What's the difference? Who's backing this movie and has been for 15 years? The Rock. Yeah. So I don't know if this movie would have got made if it was without The Rock, right? Honestly, with the way it was made, because here, here's the key line. 
and I'm not going to put it in context. You're going to have to watch it for this context and to, to see what it means. And, and I mean, you can figure out what it means if you're smart enough. But to me, the key exchange in the movie is the following, where The Rock says, as, as Black Adam, he says, these people need a hero. And I'm paraphrasing because I don't, I don't remember. I hate when I watch a movie like Amsterdam. I gave an amazing review. And Margot Robbie's character has a great line at the end of the movie. But fuck me if I can remember it because I can't. <laughs> I can't remember it because you watch it, right? And these movies are so dense and they're so uh, appealing that there's so much that sticks in your mind that you can't remember the, the wording. Do you get what I'm saying, William? Yeah, and I yeah. don't want to be the guy who takes out my phone and is making notes yeah. While I'm watching the movie, you're like, I'm it's a reviewer. I'm sorry. <laughs> What'd you say? Uh, yeah, like you take out your phone. And you're like, I'm a reviewer. I'm sorry. I got to write this right, down. Exactly. I would never want to do that, right? Because one, it would ruin my own experience, and two, it would ruin everyone else. And you know what? I live in a society, William. But uh, yeah, and it's the same <laughs> here. I don't remember the exact wording. I remember it enough, and I remember what it's about that I can say this. You know, the, the Rock's character. He says, Black Adam. He says. The, they need a hero. And the person he's talking to s- says, no, what they need is to be free. And I thought that was very powerful and very interesting that that was in a modern superhero movie. And I thought that was a line of dialogue that sounded like it would have been in a Zack Snyder movie. And I also think it speaks to what I was saying about the difference between Marvel and DC, William, where supposedly these movies are about gods but ultimately, that's the the conflict that matters, right? What is heroism? What is freedom? We're having those discussions in DC when these are supposed to be about gods and not about people. Whereas, what are we having discussions about in Marvel? Are people discussing? I thought we we're just laughing. I meant within the the movie. Do you <laughs> yeah. get you get the point I'm making, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. So. Before I give my final, like, rating of this, do you have any thoughts on what I've said? No, I'm I'm excited to see it. I think I think it's uh it, it's interesting. It's coming out here in in fall, but it feels it, from the way everyone describes it, it, sounds like a great sort of popcorn action movie with some interesting interesting themes. It's not perfectly executed, uh, but hopefully it's the start of a, a little bit more of a renaissance uh, of the DC movies, because you know we've had some questionable uh uh dc movies uh lately yeah i thought about the release date thing as well uh when you though that you know as sorry you mentioned it and i thought about it when like uh the the trailer for black panther played of course and uh, that's coming out in november and i think a lot of it has to do with deadpool and remember deadpool came out in february the first one and it smashed all the records I think they just picked this release because they wanted it to be the number one fall superhero movie ever because there's never really been like a huge superhero movie in October. This is usually when there's huge horror movies. Right. And I think Marvel's trying to do the same thing with Black Panther next month. So we'll see what happens here, especially because part of the marketing for this trailer was representation. And hey, you know our story about giving money to Ecuador for what they gave it for? There was a little bit of that in this movie where the Justice Society of America goes to this other country, and it's a fictional country, but they're still trying to tell Black Adam, who's from that country, and uh, their characters from that country, who he's working with, 
and you know are uh, reverent of him, and they're trying to tell him what to do. And a, a, no, more than once in the movie, they look at them and they're like, "This isn't even your country. What are you doing here? Leave us alone." And I mm. thought it was interesting, right? Because maybe it's just Hollywood getting it right because they're so anti-imperialist. But I was kind of like, that speaks to the whole part about like hero versus freedom thing going on in the movie. Like, what is a hero? You know? Yeah. Okay, so ultimately, I would give this uh, a bromantic rating. This is definitely in my top ten movies of the year. Uh, it is The Rock as a superhero, which elevates it on its own. But I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. Just know that it's a little, a little convoluted and a little confused in the beginning. And with the if it's a Justice Society of America movie or a Black Adam movie, but all of it does come together at the end to build towards the point and really pay off. It was just sort of they weren't able to uh, put the strings in in a way that made sense in the beginning. Does does that critique make sense, William? Yeah. A stumbly start, but uh, is going in the right direction. Right, but I try to not... Like, I hate when reviewers say that shit, so I, I try to give a reason for what I mean by stumbly start rather than be like, it's a stumbly start. You know what yeah. I mean? Yep. Okay, so hopefully you all understand what I'm saying and know that I didn't just review it positively because of The Rock. Uh, it really was when it got to that line, I was like, damn, that's... That's more than I expected from this movie. Does that make sense that it's more than what I expected from the movie? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's move on and let's talk about some trailers. I posted trailers. Uh, so one of before I do that, we have a, a listener in Discord saying, glad you talked through the Justice Society movie versus Black Adam movie. I couldn't put my finger on why I wasn't totally satisfied with the movie. That was my issue. So, yeah, like I said, I think that's the major problem with the movie. So there's a review from a midsider who uh, also had the same experience. But like I said, it pays off in the end. There's a reason for that. The ending of the movie wouldn't make sense without, I would even say thematically, it wouldn't make sense without the Just Society of America there. And I don't want to uh, go into it any further because I don't want to spoil anything. All right, so let's talk about some movies that are going to come out. Trailer Takedown. I post the trailers in the Discord, uh, usually the Saturday before we record. Uh, that's so if you want to watch the trailers before you listen to the episode or after we listen to the episode or you watch a trailer, we talk about it. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. Trailer Takedown. First trailer. The Friendship Game is a horror movie about four friends who are given a metallic orb that has them participate in a game. And soon they realize the game is actually real. It has real consequences, and the consequences are on their lives and whether they're going to live or die. The interesting thing to me about this trailer, William, is that I actually think it's pretty well produced. I think for what they're going for, for a low-budget horror movie starring the girl who plays Tori in Cobra Kai... It looks pretty good. They were clearly going for a specific look, specific feel, specific concept. Like, this game will make you figure out if people are really your friends or not. And if they aren't, you're not going to be able to trust them enough to stay alive. Like, that's an interesting concept. But what I don't get about this movie is I don't get if the aesthetic is made to be weird and ugly on purpose. Now, it is a horror movie. And the one girl with the pink hair who 
disappears in the trailer and then, you know, seemingly becomes the monster or the villain or the villain embodies her. Like, I think it might be because she is embodied by the villain or disappears, but she looks fucking weird and all these teenagers look weird. And I don't know, maybe I'm finally the old guy who's like, why are teenagers so weird? But I just can't get into this because I don't like, I don't, you have to make your characters likable. And the only reason I like the one girl with green hair is because she plays Tori in Cobra Kai, so I'm familiar with her. So the familiarity makes me like her. But otherwise, it's like all these kids are trying to be ugly or to not put in effort. And it's sort of like what they did to Zendaya as MJ in the MCU Spider-Man series. Trying hard not to be good looking. And that's very off-putting to me, which makes me, as much as there are good things about this, it makes me not want to watch this. Because I'm just like, why do I want to watch a bunch of loser characters? Tackle. Tackle? Yeah, that's very surprising. This seems like a, a like the horror premise that you might be interested in, but I can see what you're saying. Like, Yeah, the premise is great. It's a great premise. Yeah. I, 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 I sort of liked the premise in a way, um, but this is just... I don't know. I, I I don't know if it's necessarily what you were pointing out that none of the characters came off as likable. It just I don't know. It just seemed it seemed almost even though the premise seemed interesting, it seemed very formulaic. And maybe that's just the way the trailer is. Um the I guess the only mystery really is like you were saying is the is this person, the missing person embodied by this sort of demon thing or is it, you know, is that was that her secret desire? Maybe that's the mystery we're trying to unbox. I don't know. I couldn't even get there because of how like fucking like losers they all looked. I couldn't even yeah. get there, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I think this this looks like an interesting premise that may not be well put together based on the preview. So I think I'll pass on this one. Tackle second trailer. A man called Otto stars Tom Hanks as an old guy who's jaded with the world, or who plays me as an eighty year old man. So part of me while I was watching this was like, yeah, I identify with this guy because there's a part where he's teaching the woman how to drive and then uh, she almost rear ends someone and he's like, don't worry about it. It's a hybrid. I was like, I'm that guy. Like, that's what I would have said. Right. And maybe this is a commentary on old white people because uh, he seems to hate the world and everyone in it until um, the immigrant family uh, shows up next door and he establishes a bond with them and presumably he uh, loves his life again, right? Uh, but here's the thing, William. I've already seen this movie. It's called Gran Torino. Why would I see this movie again? And it's presumably going to be worse. So hmm. just go see the Clint Eastwood movie, Gran Torino. Tackle. Tackle. Yeah, I was thinking, uh, what was the one with uh, uh, with Jack? Uh where he's an old man with uh, Meg Ryan. I was getting a little bit of those vibes as well. Jack? And, you mean Matthew Fox Jack from Nicholson. Lost? Oh. No, uh, it's an old movie, 90s movie. Yeah, I know I what you're talking about. I can't remember the name of it. It's, it'll come to me later. But yeah, I was sort of getting I love that how you vibe. say Jack Nicholson as like he's eponymous. He needs one name and I went to Lost. Oh, you went to Lost. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, this doesn't, this looked really, I'm sorry. I, I, I almost fell asleep just watching this trailer. Tackle. Tackle. Third trailer. Creed 3 is the 
third movie in the Rocky sequel series about the son of Creed, and it stars Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan also directs this. In it, a friend from his past who went to prison uh, feels slighted and makes him feel entitled to Michael B. Jordan's life and challenges him to a boxing match. You know, this is the Rocky formula. Uh, What's notable about this is Michael B. Jordan is the director of this. And, you know, this hyped me up. It made me want to see the first two Creed movies. And you know what? I probably will watch the first two Creed movies in order to see this. Because one, Michael Michael B. Jordan's a good actor. Uh, He's earned my respect. And to see him get his chance to direct in the way Stallone directed uh, the Rocky movies, uh, I think this is a great win for a talented guy. I think it's potentially a win for an iconic American movie series. And you know what? That makes me want to see it. Hug. Hug. I haven't watched Creed 2, so maybe I should watch that first, because this one looked interesting. Um, you know, uh, my, normally guns are required in my action movies, but uh, this looks interesting. And um, yeah, I, I think the as it can be a simple story and still be enjoyable, and I think that falls into that category. So I will give this a Netflix and hug. Netflix and hug. Final trailer. The Super Mario Brothers movie is an animated adaptation of the Super Mario Brothers franchise from Nintendo. And I don't even know what to say about this beyond the fact that it looks perfect. This trailer looks perfect. Okay, I saw this in theaters before um, Black Adam. And Koopa comes out. And I looked at it and I said, that's exactly what King Koopa should look like. Now, they're not straying far from the video game characters, but this is what I don't understand about how a Legend of Zelda movie has never been made, mm. right? Whether you're using the old 2D Nintendo, Super Nintendo version, or the, the newer 3D version from the later platforms, you already know what these characters look like. Like, why did they do what they did with John Leguizamo in the 90s with Super Mario? You already have the blueprint. Use it. And it looks like in this trailer... That they are using the blueprint. The way Mario looked, the way Koopa looked, the way the world looked, the 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 dialogue. Like this is Super Mario Brothers made real into an animated movie. I mean, I thought the art was beautiful as well. I, I was just blown away by this. And I like I'm not a huge video game nerd, so I, I'm interested in William and what you have to say about this because this is, I don't know, this just makes me pretty excited. Hug. Hug. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, the only negative, I have to say one negative thing. Uh, the voice of Mario is uh, stunt casting. So they, they picked a, a star to be the voice of Mario, and he's just using his regular voice. He did, but then when, when they were hopping away on the mushrooms, he did like the Italian voice. Yeah. Didn't he? A little bit. A little bit, yeah. So I'm nervous in that way. Uh, I, I was heard... too when the casting first came out, but then I watched that scene and I was like, all right, I'm all right with it. Yeah, so I'm I'm a little nervous about it. I've heard uh, someone, I, I can't remember what language it was, someone heard it in French or some other language, 
and the voice, it was just a professional voice actor, and it sounded way better. So I'm a little nervous about stunt casting. Uh, you know, my stunt casting in, in animation can go really wrong. Um, it can also go really right. I mean, hey, Robin Williams is Aladdin. But um, uh, so that makes me nervous. That nervousness aside, I'm very excited about this, too. This is a big old hug for me. Hug. Do you agree with what I said about the graphics and everything? Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the animation seems spot on, and, and that's great. I mean, it's no arcane as a, uh, you know, uh, Emmy Award-winning uh, uh, series uh, producer, I guess, member, credit. Uh, I, I can say it's, it's, it's not pushing any new ground here, but it's doing exactly what you would expect from the games. It looked like you know, that could have been taken out like a, just an upsampled from, from one of the modern Mario games, right? It looks it looks really really good. That was my first thought in theaters, honestly, William. Is I, my first thought was like, I'm gonna fucking yell at William because why are they showing goddamn video tra- video game trailers before movies now? That was my first thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Play Call of Duty three. Yeah, but no, it's an actual movie. All right, that brings us to the end of this episode. What did we learn this trip, William? I learned that. I need to apply for a grant um, from the State Department for while I'm in Germany so I can pocket uh, $20,600. Justin, what did you learn this trip? Uh, I learned that I'll never know how to pronounce anyone's name ever because I don't even know how to pronounce a two-letter name like Y-E. Is it yay or ye? Somebody tell me. The Y is silent. It's just E. So It's E? See, now I'm even more confused. <laughs> All right, I want to thank everyone for listening to the show. If it wasn't for you, this would just be me talking into the corner of my closet like a crazy person. It still is that, but hey, I feel a little bit less crazy. Uh, you can support us by the midside.com slash Patreon or midside.com slash locals. Patreon is per episode, locals is per month. The midside.com slash store to buy some merch. The midside.com slash the cut to write, to write, to read my book that I wrote. Or, you know, if you want to write a book and send it to me and I'll read it, cool, that'd be fun if I have time. Uh, This is all how we keep the lights on. So we want to move beyond keeping the lights on, and we want to grow the show. So to grow a show, tell a friend, especially one who identifies as female. Because as we learned from Dr. Andrew Bernstein, that's the best way to grow an audience. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emblesneski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Have a collective free day. So I'm guessing next week we'll get all the uh, your uh, costumes were culturally inappropriate news stories. So be, I'm looking forward to it. Figuring oh, out yeah, which, send those, which, send which those all to us. Yeah, qu- which costumes are culturally inappropriate this year? Actually, let's play that game. Submit to us in the Discord what do you think the most culturally inappropriate costumes will be this year? <laughs>